All right, we've all covered that, right? So I don't think I need to cover that specific point uh, in the message. So I've decided to go to Deuteronomy. Yeah, my wife said to me last night, she goes, I'm really curious how you're going to do this. I started a study on Deuteronomy. We just finished uh, going through the study guide on Friday. Um, We've been journeying through the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of those books that most of the time you read through, if you're reading through the Bible, you read through it as fast as you possibly can. Because it's got a lot of stuff in there. It seems kind of repetitive. Um, and I, I intentionally did that because, uh, because of this one thing. This one thing. So often we talk about the God of the Old Testament as a big bully. A genocidal, hom- uh, homicidal maniac. All right? A guy who, who makes all kinds of rules that can't, people can't follow. I mean, what's up with the Adam and Eve thing? What's up with the Moses and Sinai thing? What's up with the striking people dead thing? Why is he constantly smiting people? And so often we talk about that, and then you get people at the church that are like, then they talk about the New Testament God, and they talk about Jesus. And, and Jesus comes off as kind of a sort of hippie. In his bathrobe, big shiny dish at the back of his head, dresses, perfect beard, well-groomed hair, uh, walking in sandals, telling people he loves them. And and so many times people they, we don't deal with kind of the dichotomy that exists in popular perceptions of belief in God. And and so we look at the Old Testament. Everybody looks at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about law. The Old Testament is about death. The Old Testament about destruction. The Old Testament about war. The Old Testament, and those things are in the Old Testament. But let's be perfectly honest; they are a part of the human experience. We go. Well, we don't want to talk about war. We don't want to talk about violence. We don't want to talk about people doing terrible things to each other. We need to talk about those things because they're the reality of life. It happens, and we can't stick our head in the in the ground and go, "It doesn't happen." Um, and we, we don't want to talk about we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about people doing things to each other. Let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about let's get love and warm and fuzzy and encouragement and six easy ways to live your life as a Christian person. So we don't tend to go to the Old Testament. But I want to go to the Old Testament because you need to understand that all of the redemption and love, and resurrection, and, and, and all those, those things that we love about the, the New Testament, they start in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, were the Scriptures of the guys that wrote the New Testament. When they talk about the Scriptures, when they talk about the Law and the Prophets, they're talking about the Old Testament. So where does it come from? So I want to turn to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 31. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time reading every bit and piece of this, but you, I, want to, I want to get into this. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, and Deuteronomy is the words of Moses at the end of his life. We, we, if you want to download the study guide and get more in-depth into Deuteronomy, you can do that on our website. You can go to sermons and just go to studies in Deuteronomy, and it's attached uh, to the first sermon of the series. But we're at the end of Moses' life, and we get this line. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am 120 years old today. Yay, birthday. I am no longer able to go out and come in. 
He's lamenting at 120 years old that he's not as vibrant as he used to be. You shall not, and, and the Lord, uh, I'm no longer able to go out and come in, and the Lord said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God will go over before you. He will destroy the nations before you so that you may dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your, as your head, at your head as the Lord has spoken. So um, this is the moment at the end of Moses' life. He's going he's, he's to hand the reins over to Joshua. And there's a whole thing that happens in chapter 1. Um, where he starts to talk about the revelation, how God has revealed the, the Torah, uh, what we usually translate as law, but really means instruction, um, that it's been revealed to them, and they're supposed to pass it on from generation to generation. And then in verse 14, Moses says this, Oh, the Lord said to Moses, and Moses repeats it, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua, present yourself in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua, they go and they present him. And in verse, uh, verse 16, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. God keeps reminding Moses that he's about to die. It's, um, then, this people, then this people will rise and whore after their foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. They will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they will be devoured and many evils and troubles will come upon them. So they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. Now just hold on to that line. I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. So God says to Moses, he says, look, Moses, when you die, just so you know, this bunch of reprobates going to go back to reprobating. They're going to follow after false gods. They're going to get involved in idolatry. They're going to be corrupted. They're going to be destroyed. And my anger is going to be raging against them. It's going to be kindled against them. They're going to have a rough road of it. I'm going to hide my face from them. And then they're going to ask, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? They're going to ask that question. So Moses, I I want you to leave them something. He goes on in the rest of the chapter. I want you to leave them something for that time. Now, this isn't recorded, but I figure Moses goes, so God, what do you want me to leave for them? And God says, I don't know, Moses, what do you feel like leaving to them? Moses goes, I'd like to write a song. That's what he does. In chapter 32, actually the end of 30, chapter 31, verse 30, um, then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Moses starts, I love this, Moses starts a freestyle rap legitimately appears to be what he's doing all right he just starts talking he's gonna i'm gonna sing a song to you now that's not generally a good thing um but uh here it is chapter 32 and verse 1 he starts this he says and this is the song that he teaches them i'm not gonna go through the whole thing but give ears O heavens and and i will speak let the earth hear the words of my mouth 
May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not He your Father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your Father and He will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob, his allotted heritage, he found them in a desert, in the howling waste of the wizard of the wilderness. He encircled them. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, and curds from the herd, and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan, and goats with very finest of the wheat, you drank foaming wine and made from the blood made from the blood of the grapes. My all-time favorite verse in the Bible. But Jeshurun grew, grew fat and kicked. As a Bible college student, I read that line and went, I am memorizing that verse. That is the most amazing verse ever. I don't even know what it means. Now Jeshurun is, is another name for the people of Israel. To grow fat means to become lazy and kicked means to become stubborn and rebellious. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. And you forsake God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. And he goes on and on through the song. He starts to talk about all the rebellion. He starts to talk about what God is going to do, the chastening that he's going to bring. Um, in verses 15 through 33, he talks about all the punishment. In verse 23, I will keep disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They will be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. And this is what most people think about when they think about the Old Testament. God in the Old Testament. The God of punishment. The God of chastening. The God of discipline. The God who's going to bring down the, the hammer. But then in verse 34. Is not this laid up and stored with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. But the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees that their power is gone and that there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge. Who, are, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. 
For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make, make my arrows drunk with blood. My sword shall devour flesh. Verse 43. Rejoice with me, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children. He takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. We, we read the Old Testament and people want to read the Old Testament and see all the darkness without understanding that darkness is necessary in order for us to understand light. That loss is what makes things mean something to us. We often say, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Right? I think that's in a song. Probably in a bunch of songs. And the reality is that God blessed the people of Israel, yet He knew that they were going to rebel. In fact, He knew they were going to rebel not once, not twice, but hundreds of times over centuries. And yet in all those rebellions, in all those failures, He says, but remember this song that Moses wrote you, that at the end, when you get to the bottom, when your gods have abandoned you, when you have gone down every path that you want to go down and you have found nothing brings any value to you, I'm still here. The point of God's judgment, the point of the darkness, the point of His judgment is so that we see the consequences of our actions and the compassion that saves us from our actions. That we see our God when everything else has been stripped away, He's still there. People talk about the God of second chances. I don't really need second chances. I'm on about chance 387,426. And we say, well, when I, was, when I needed something, God came to me. I got news for you. God doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't have to come to you. You're just not looking for Him. He's still there. Chapter three, 33 and verse 29. Moses sings another song. It's like a B-side. How many of you even know what a B-side is? All right, good, okay. Those of you that don't know what a B-side is, get a record player. Chapter 33 and verse 29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. There was never a time that God was not ready to save mankind. So often we talk about the resurrection like this was God's plan B. Like, like He let us kind of do our own thing, we kept screwing up, and then finally He goes, okay, fine, I'll send my son. And he'll die for your sins, and then you guys can be saved. That is not at all how it was. There was never a time that God did not intend to save us. 
when it feels like God has given up on you, God hasn't gone anywhere. But He's not going to let you just do whatever you want without consequences. He's not going to just go, oh, well, you know, whatever. I love you so much, I'm just going to let you do whatever you want. How on earth would that make Him a good father? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that my, God sla- my dad slapped me upside the head occasionally. God slaps me upside the head too, but every once in a while my dad would just say to, you, say to me, he would just walk up behind me. Now, some of you don't agree with this, but that's okay. That's how it worked. It didn't cause any problems in my head, I don't think. Um, every once in a while I would be running my mouth about something stupid, and he would just walk up behind me and slap me on the back of the head, and he said, think about what you say. Every once in a while I would try to do something stupid. And my mother would go, my mother is very good at this. She would just stand there like this and she goes, really? <laughs> I got my eyebrow thing from my mom, the, the raising the eyebrow thing. Um, she would look at you and she would go, really? And, and she would just intimidate you with this withering glare that ate away at your soul. She was, my, I was more scared of my mom than I was of my dad. Um, I'm thankful that there was, there was correction. Now, I'm thankful sometimes my parents let me deal with the consequences of my actions because it taught me important lessons. But they were never not there. And you know what? God is never not there. You say, well, God, God put me through this. It's so horrible. It's difficult. I don't... If you believe in a God that would put me through this, He's never not there. And when we come to a time when all everything else is stripped away, He's still going to be there. He's still present. He's still waiting. He doesn't. Somebody, somebody one time said, "You know, isn't it wonderful when God comes running?" I don't believe God ever has to run to me. Sometimes I have to run to Him, but He's always present. I'll close with a funny story. Didn't actually happen to me. Just warn you ahead of time. How many of you are familiar with the Footsteps in the Sand poem? Isn't that a beautiful poem? Bob knows where I'm going with this. Talks about how you're walking and walking with Jesus along in the sand. Man had a dream and there are two sets of footprints. And then he looks back and he, he sees sometimes there's just one set, set of footprints. He says, Jesus, you know, why is there only one set of footprints? Why did you leave me? He says, no, no. Jesus says, I didn't leave you. He says, I, I carried you. When we read that, we go, oh, that's beautiful. There's a second part to that. He says, what's those big wide spaces back there? Because those are the times I was dragging you. <laughs> you want to know life and truth, you to turn to the God who is there. Now, you may or may not be a Christian this morning. I, I recognize that Resurrection Sunday, some of you got dragged by your family. Some of, you, some of you moved into the area, looked around. There was a white church on Bedford Road. You went, well, they're there. They got a sign. <laughs> Present. Um, I mean, I've got to be honest. When I'm on vacation, that's how I choose churches. Which one is closest to my house or the hotel that I'm in? I don't really want to commute a lot if I'm on vacation. But you moved in the area, said Easter's Resurrection Sunday is a good day to come to church. So you came to church, and then this maniac started talking about Deuteronomy. Our God is present. He's never not here. 
You go through the darkness, he's still there. You go through the pain, he's still there. You go through temptation, he's still there. You fail, he's still there. You get lost, he's still there. And when the time comes for you to turn to him, he doesn't have to come barreling in like the Kool-Aid man. He's still right there. He says, at one point, Israel will turn around. Now, here's the amazing thing. How is it that we miss this? We read the Old Testament. Everybody reads it and goes, oh, death, pain, destruction, law, rules, Adam and Eve, all that. We go through the whole thing, and we miss the fact that God says, I'm still here. He said, well, God took the people of Israel, and He punished them, and then He restored them. Oh, and by the way, then He used them to be the agents of the gospel. Jesus' followers were the people of Israel, if you don't know that. They were Jews. God doesn't give up on you. You say, I don't want anything to do with God. That's okay. He can handle it. But He's still going to be there when you're ready to turn. Would you join me in a word of prayer? There are times that we wish we could hide ourselves from you, God. But if we go to the heavens, you are there. If we descend to the depths of the earth, you are there. We lay down, we sit down, we stand up, you are there. Often you are silent because we are so loud. We follow after everything that we can think to follow after. We have all of our answers. We have all of our arguments. And you are there. And in the moment, for me, in the moment when all of my questions no longer, I no longer had the answers I thought I had, when all of my roads led to nothing, and I turned around, you were there broken-hearted and open-handed to receive me back. And over and over and over again in, in my life, in the lives of every believer, we, we drift and then you are there. Lord, help us to celebrate the reality of your presence. And we, we see it in the resurrection that Jesus, even death, could not defeat him and salvation is in him. And yet that is just the reality of who you are as God. Death could never defeat you. The grave could never hold you. Our doubts can never transcend you. And as we journey to you, always toward you, help us to know you. For some of us, at the first step of knowing you, ready to go on a journey of faith for the first time, for others of us on a long road filled with stumblings and failures, and yet you are still there. We honor you, God, as the one and true God, Jesus as his Son, the one and true Savior of the world, Lord of our lives, Holy Spirit, the giver of life and new creation in us. And we pray 